Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great Sunday here. I'm not in worship with you today uh, for good reason. Shannon and I are away celebrating our anniversary, uh, but I'm excited about what you're about to hear. A friend of mine, Joel Smith, is gonna be sharing with you. Uh, Joel is uh, a friend of mine through Heritage Christian Academy. He and I serve on the board there together. And he's not a preacher or a pastor or a missionary. He's just an average Joe like everybody in our church. He's a deacon at his church, and he has a job where he loves to minister and share the gospel with people uh, on a daily basis. And so Joel's going to bring a great word to you today. He's going to share with you some things that are going to encourage you and challenge you. And then when the service is over today, I'm going to come back and I'm going to invite you to step into a tremendous opportunity with the rest of your church family over these summer months. So God bless you guys today. Joel, I appreciate you being here today, brother, and I'll be praying for you guys. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace Life. Morning. They told me, uh, I had, he told me to prepare, and then he told me, like, last night there's two services. And um, so then I was like, all right, well, I get one practice round, and then we can do it again. But this is the one they record, so now I'm all, and now I got to be on, on point. But uh, Grace Life, we, we love you guys. We, uh, uh, we have a heart for you, our board and the HCA team. Uh, for what had, we've seen God work in with that first meeting, I remember with Will and Joel and Brad and myself, and that whole what's God doing uh, with us purchasing the, the, the church and coming in here as a school. And so we love you guys. We, were, we just did our first graduation from here. We did our kindergarten graduation. Uh, just had a blast with that and to see God work through uh, a pandemic and the growth that's coming ahead here with the new, the new school uh, the new year, actually. It's been, uh, it's been really a joy just to watch that. Uh, I do con congratulate Grace Life for being strong believers in the fact that you would invite a car salesman to lead worship <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Not a Wednesday night, but a Sunday morning. Um, I told Pastor Joel, I guess I'm Joel 2.0, but Joel 2.0 is usually better than 1.0, so I'm not, I can't be 2.0, so... I'm probably the beta version, not better version, but beta version. Uh, I did hear Joel, he said, he said on there, we were talking just uh, a couple of times in preparing for this, and he said, you know, what he hears as a pastor quite often is, hey, pastor, that's not, that's not real world. Like, you don't, you know, you, you go to bed at night, you come to work, study a little bit, preach, you don't know the real world, you know that that is not true, but... Um, I'll, I'll tell you about the real world, I employ about 250 employees, I, that's real world. I'm going to tell you, problems in real world. I'll tell you something else that's real world. I've been married 22 years. i got four kids, um, 2019, six, and eight weeks old. <laughs> we, uh, as Tammy will tell you, we did not social distance well. So. Uh, guys, if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is the fifth book of the Bible. This is the book of where God worked and what's happening. This is what people did after Jesus left. We, the four, four Gospels tell us what's happening up to that point. When Jesus first invited the few guys to follow him, he made them an odd promise. And one, they probably didn't understand and probably intimidated them. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
probably pretty confusing, right? They had no idea up to that point what was going on. They had heard of God, but they didn't necessarily know what this meant. And they probably followed, just like we do, for selfish reasons. Right? Let that sink in for a minute. Like, why, why did we follow? What did we do? Did we want fire insurance? Did we do it because somebody said, come, come hang out with me or, or, or go through the motions? Uh, I was watching my screen on my vehicle that comes up, and, and I listened to the message. Any guy listen to the message on, on Sirius? And it says, contemporary Christian. And I thought to myself, I saw that one word in there, temporary Christian. And I said, Lord, please don't let me be a temporary Christian. Sometimes I do it, and then I'm back on, and I'm back off. Here we are 2,000 years later celebrating what God did and people telling others who told others who told others who told others. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John becoming fishers of men. Those that heard, this is incredible because although we are so glad someone shared with us, the idea of us sharing with someone else is frightening, right? It's frightening. So for us to be where we are now, uh, depending on your background, you may even think it's wrong to convince someone else to believe what you believe and stop believing what they believe. The whole idea really doesn't set well with us. We're glad someone shared, but we don't expect, please don't expect me to share. You guys are coming off of best week ever, and I don't know if that means we're just going to have one best week or if we could keep having best weeks. I would assume Joel would, Pastor Joel would say we could keep having them. And I know he's been asking you, who's your one? You know, during best, I guess, uh, bless others, uh, encourage others, um, serve others. And then what's this last one? Tell others. Now, did you guys already do that this week? Did he, he, he challenge you to do that? Um, we're in tell others. And that's the hardest one out of best that I saw. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And he's been asking you this question. I watched the, the sermon. I watched all of his sermons. And I said, um, Pastor Joel, you've been, you've been preparing them, and you've been saying who's your one, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little further with that if you're okay with that. And I'm going to ask you to think about your three. Now, real quick, honestly, with your pen, with your phone, in your mind, write down the three people that you know that need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear the story. Write it down. Think about it. And I'll help you. Family, classmate, co-worker, bank teller, dry cleaner, your car salesman. Probably needs to hear about Jesus. Right? And I think it's God-inspired. And I, I don't know what each of you are writing down right now or thinking right now. But those three people God has planned for you to, to work with. And I say go for three because if you go for three, what might happen? I know if I shoot three shots, I might hit one of them. It's better than one. So I'm saying let's go for three. Um, so why do we need to talk about it? Christianity is not a theology, and it's not a set of ethics or morality. Christianity is, is not intuitive. You can't go sit under a tree and decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. Somebody has to tell you about him. It's not a belief system, not simply a belief system. It's about an event. It's something that happened in history. It's something that was seen and heard. And this isn't new to us, right? It's interesting, in spite of knowing this, and knowing others will not know if we don't tell them, we sh really shrink back in our responsibility to tell, to tell others. If we did a survey on why we don't share more aggressively, more intentionally, 
it would all boil down to one word. Anybody know what it is? Afraid, from the back row. Right? We're afraid. What if they ask a hard question? What if I sound stupid? What if it gets awkward? What if it's uncomfortable? What if it ends a relationship? We just shrink back. I've got a question. What what if they spend eternity away, separated from God? That's the real question, right? You hear a message or challenge like this, and it's like, yeah, I know. I know, Joel. Appreciate you coming down here and telling us. We we know what we're supposed to be doing, and I know I should. I'm glad somebody shared with me, but suddenly the fear swells up inside of us. I teach a lot of salespeople how to and, and run a business, and, and I talk a lot. The thing I struggle with the most with employees is them knowing what they should do but not do it. Like, they'll pass the test. They'll write down the right answers. They'll do all the stuff. They don't do it. That's what we do. That's what I do. See the opportunity, we fail to move. The primary players in the Bible when it comes to this are once cowards themselves, scared to death to be associated with him. At one point, a girl comes up to Peter, says, don't you know Jesus? What's he do? Curses him, saying, I've never heard of him. Peter was a coward. Now, this, this, this cowardness at this point is prior to the Holy Spirit, when you think about that, too. Keep that, keep that in mind. When Jesus was arrested, here's his best friends. What did they do? Defend him. They disappeared in the darkness, scared to death, just like you and I do. Book of Acts is what people did after Jesus left the earth. And we see the same cowards, full of the Spirit, become courageous witness to what they've seen and heard. In today's scripture, uh, we'll gain insight to how first century Christians thought about Christianity and why it was that they were so willing to become witnesses in spite of the fact that they were not only afraid, they had a lot more to lose than we do. Think about what they had to lose. Let me get you into the book of Acts here. I'm going to catch you up a little bit. We're going to be on verse 23. But up to this point, Jesus has died on the cross. He's buried. He's risen from the dead. He's gone to be with the Father. That's what Christians believe. A few weeks later, men who hung out with Jesus are talking about it. Two of them, Peter and John, pretty famous guys, go to the temple to pray. On the way to the temple, you guys know the story. What happens? He's a a lame man. Guy's never walked before. Peter says, rise up, and he walks, and he leaps, and he skips, and he hops, and he's excited. And he runs runs into the temple, and he says, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And he's clinging to Peter, and he says, there's the guy who healed me. Peter sees this opportunity to preach a little mini-sermon. If you go back a little bit in this chapter, you know, these guys have been involved in over 5,000 people coming to know the Lord. They said the Bible says 5,000 men. A lot of times when the, when the Bible says men, it means men and women, so it could be 10,000 or more. And so he's, he's on it now, right? He's preaching. He's got the joy. He's excited. And the man gathers a crowd, and Peter sees that opportunity to preach. Well, the people in charge of the temple, guess what? They're not happy with it. Just like many people in our culture, they may feel the same way. If you, talk, you, if you want to talk about Jesus, then fine, but don't talk about it. If you want to believe in Jesus, fine, but... Just don't try not to talk about it. We want, to, we want you to do it around your friends. We want to do it around people you know, but don't talk about it in public. For goodness sake, don't speak about it here in the temple, they tell them. If you want to come, come to the temple, you can talk about God. God is safe. We all know about God. You can talk about uh, the law. We know the law. You can talk about Moses and uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but don't talk about Jesus. 
which is always odd to me after all that has, has occurred. But Well, Jesus goes on and on, and Peter and John, guess what? He, he didn't stop preaching, and what happens to Peter, Peter and John? They get arrested. Okay? They're taken in. The next day, they're brought back in, into front of the leaders, and they say, look, you must stop talking about Jesus, guys. Well, have you guys watched The Chosen? Any of you guys watching The Chosen? Some of you, some of you haven't watched The Chosen. They could do a good job portraying Peter. Well, Peter didn't want one of the guys to stop, so they're telling him, hey, don't talk about Jesus. They brought him out into the, I don't know, the courtroom or the town square or wherever they were doing this at, and they says, he says, I'm going to preach another sermon in front of these people now. We must preach about what we not believe but have seen and heard. These guys were walking with Jesus. Right? They've been in, in, involved with him. And he makes this great claim. Go back to verse 12. It says, for there is no other what? Name. No other name. Nothing else to talk about. Giving them up men which may be served. God has done something unique. And if we don't talk about it, nobody will. So the leaders, guess what? Where do they put them? Back in jail. All right, get back in there. You guys be quiet. Put, put them in there. And they have a, the the the... the Romans have, and the, the guards, and they have their little meeting. Any idea what that meeting might have sounded like? What, what are they talking about? They brought them back into jail. I, I feel like I may be wrong. I may have to answer for this. So they're, they're sitting around. They go, all right, so we know all this Jesus stuff's been going on. Like, it's real. Like, I think they've, they've witnessed some stuff. They've heard more than just them talking about it. Like, they know. But, hey, this is going to change our lifestyle if they go out and talk about this. It's going to change our whole program. Like, the palace and the, all the, the, our stuff going to change all that if we start talking. It's going to change everything. So bring them back out. So they bring them back out and they say, look, this is your last warning. Like, get out of here. Now, I think they feel like they're in more danger even having them in jail there. Like, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to talk to the inmates or they're going to talk to the guards or something else is going to happen. And they send them home. So this is where the story picks up a little bit. On their way home, they have some conversation that we're not privy to. We don't know exactly what they're talking about, but I can imagine what my conversation would be with John or, or vice versa. It'd be like, hey, man, like, uh, we need to be more careful. And we're going to bring it down a notch or two. In fact, we need to move this operation probably out of Jerusalem. This isn't for, fer, uh, fertile territory. It's probably God's will that we go somewhere else to where they're more receptive. Man, that was close. Can you imagine what they're saying? Thanks for answering my prayers and getting us out of prison, getting us out of there alive. Thanks for blessing and protecting and blessing and protecting and blessing and protecting. Don't we say that a lot? So here we go. When the people get back to their people that they've been praying to, that have been praying for them all night, this is, let's remember, this is a group of religious people that had just crucified Jesus that they were with. I mean, if they got enough leverage with the Roman government to get the head guy out, what do you think they could do to John and Peter? Chances are that they assumed they would be crucified or put to death or in prison forever. And certainly the leaders there had the leverage to do so. Jesus has been put to death. The people are at home are praying and assuming the worst for Peter and John. So as they return to headquarters, all these people have gathered around and asking what happened. Last time we saw you, they were carting you guys off. Like, what's going on now? What's going on? So they begin to tell their story, and that's where we pick up Acts 4.23. fascinating stuff here. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends. NIV says their people. Anybody have a people? Like my people? 
That's his people. And reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Now check this out. Follow me. When they heard this, this is verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Time out. If you were a follower of Jesus at this time, Peter and John have, haven't written their books yet. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John hadn't written his book yet. First and second Peter. He's got two books to write. This hasn't happened yet. Uh, these guys spent time with Jesus, and we haven't heard all of their teachings. We've got to take care of them. And if they're persecuting Peter and John, chances are they're going to per persecute us. None of us are safe. My prayer would go something like, you know, um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day because that's what we always say. And, and help me, help me, help me, protect me, protect me, protect me. Would, would that be y'all's prayer? Like, help, help, help. Bless me. We're going to talk about Jesus, but we're going to be a little more careful. And then suddenly in this moment, this group of people have an aha moment like no other. This beats all aha moments. And oh, that it would happen in our own hearts, guys. It finally draw, dawns on them that they start to connect some dots. They suddenly remember that what they were taught as children in the Old Testament about Messiah, that, one, that a Messiah that one day would come. Hundreds of years has passed. I mean, you think about it. How many years has passed since Christ died? What are we waiting for, right? And so we go on each day. And yeah, we know he might come, but we kind of go on each day. They've, they've gone hundreds of years have passed, and they've almost given up hope, and the crucifixion happens, and the risens happen. They're like, oh, 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 it's all happening, right? We're, we're right in the middle of the backside of this same continued story. They're in the middle of a story. We're in the middle. When Peter and John get back from prison to talk about all that happened, it dawns on them that they're in the middle of something extraordinary, so extraordinarily significant. Excuse me. And not only are they in the middle of it, they are players. They are heavily involved. Not just around it, not just hearing about it. Somehow God has seen fit to involve them in something he has been up to for generations. All this part of his plan. This new prayer is not like normal prayers. Like, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. It's or help me, or help me, protect me, protect me. Suddenly their eyes are open and they see the big picture. They pray an incredible prayer that reflects a perspective I wish I could embrace and hold on every single day to. Listen to what they pray. They don't, say, they don't start with, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. They say what? In verse 24, so Sovereign Lord. Hannah did a great job. Those, those attributes, man, those are the words that should start our prayers as, as you listen to this. Sovereign means supreme ruler, ultimate power. In other words, large and in charge God. Oh, sovereign God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, the fact about two guys we almost lost and that we that got in prison and things didn't go like they thought they would, we realize now, even though it looked like you lost control, we were beginning to realize you never lost control. And you've been in control since day one. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Maybe we should start every prayer like that. Sovereign God. Verse 25. Who through the mouth of David? David. We memorized a psalm as children. These, 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 this group's thinking, hey, we, we, I remember this. It speaks of when he came and he would, it, this wouldn't be smooth sailing and the Messiah would show up and be persecuted and, and tormented and die. Things wouldn't go well. And we remember that psalm all of a sudden, and we recognize that's what's been happening right before our very eyes. So verse 25, through the mouth of David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Verse 26, the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words, as the children, they memorized, as children, they memorized this psalm that talked about when the Messiah came, that the rulers of the Gentiles and the kings would try to make a stand against these guys, against the Holy One, more importantly, the Messiah, and it wouldn't work, and they would plot in vain. Look on the next verse. It dawns on them, for truly, your Bible, NIV says, indeed, in this seed, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the other Gentiles, that would be the Romans, and the peoples of Israel. There's some peoples again. The song we memorize as children, that song that has been quoted by Jews for generations after generation, that song has had us looking forward, and now we're smack dab in the middle of a major league prophecy. All of this has happened around them. They're right here in the middle of it. Christ has died. He's risen again. People are preaching. Now they're getting persecuted. We see. This is, aha, I get it. We're in this. We had no, when he was being arrested, we were praying for these guys, you know, or for God, for Jesus. We had no idea that what he was doing was meant to be. And we thought, you know, God had lost control. Have you ever thought God had lost control in your life? Just like, man, he might, he don't, what's he doing? I have. I mean, I've thought that often. But they're thinking God's lost control. Then he's raised from the dead, and he's mystified on what's going on, and he's like, ah, oh, we get it. This was our, your plan all along. We've lived through the fulfillment of prophecy, and you are a sovereign God who is active in our midst. Look at this next part, verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. We thought things had spun out of control when you were there the whole time. Pilate thought he was making an independent decision, did he? He's in control. Herod thought he was exerting his authority to move forward. Little did they know, oh, sovereign God, that they played right into your hand to fulfill what you had ordained to happen generations and generations ago. And oh my goodness, we thought things had fallen apart, but you are the sovereign God who is in control. How would you feel at this point? You're realizing all this, and now you want to... You've been praying, you know, you've been praying different prayers than what maybe you would have if you would have paid attention. And I think Peter and John probably and Andrew probably, um, the rest of the disciples, thought to themselves, oh, my goodness, how embarrassing. We're standing in the midst of the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember this story? And uh, everybody just runs away like they deserted. him. They're gone. And you can imagine how they're feeling about that. And instead of thinking to ourselves, this is all part of God's plan and it's part of what sovereign God wants to do, we thought God had left us. We thought God had abandoned us and ran for cover. We're right in the midst of an activity, the activity of God, and old to be able to go back and do it over again. What cowards we are. I mean, can you imagine the, the, the embarrassment or... or um, just love you would have for God at that point to realize, man, I've just missed it. Of course, p poor Peter's thinking, man, a little girl, a little girl for Pete's sake. I wonder if that's where Pete's sake comes from. <laughs> a, a little girl asked me if I knew Jesus. If I'd only realized that the sovereign God was active in all these events that seemed to be going on, 
wrong where we're actually going the way, playing right into the hands of the Father. Man, I, I would have responded differently. Instead, I cursed and I said I never knew him. I denied my Savior and my Lord. But in this moment, suddenly the group of people get it. Verse 27. Indeed, truly, in the ESV, God is up to something unique. So they changed their request. Instead of, dear Heavenly Father, help me, help me, help me, help me, protect, protect, protect. They make their new request. They, 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 they pray and they say, thank you for this day. Um, or we all say thank you for this day. They haven't even gotten the request out yet. And they're just like, oh, you are big. Oh, you are active and acting. And we don't want to miss it. They do get to the request. Um, but they don't know what to ask. Because, you know, what do you, what do you ask when you realize all you've been asking for was contrary to what was happening. Protect him. Don't let him die. Don't let him take him. Don't, don't, don't let any of that happen. You've been praying the wrong stuff because you didn't know how or pay attention to what God was doing, so now you don't even know what to pray. These people now realize our lives are at risk. They're going to come after us. I mean, we could be arrested any moment. They could come marching in this room, find us collected together, start talking about Jesus, and arrest us all. We have a major league problem. But what if our arrest is all about what God's up to? What if that's the point? We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say anymore. So listen to what they say, verse 29. And now look upon, consider maybe, is what NIV, consider their threats. <laughs> Instead of protect me, bless me, protect me, bless me, man, just con consider it, you know, in case it happens. Um, consider their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak word with all what? Boldness, boldness. That's what I titled the messages. When I, it's, it's the big letters on my, on my outline here. They don't say, do away with my enemies because who knows, you may want to use my enemies. They don't say, let us get, don't let us get arrested because maybe they, God wants us to get arrested or persecuted. What do we say? So they find this neutral ground here. And they say, God, about the people that are persecuting us and threatening us, about the people that could arrest us at any minute, that could take our lives, about the people that could put us in prison forever, would you at least look upon or consider those threats? We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to ask for, but we want you to know that we are aware of them, and we just hope you're aware of them, right? However you choose to use them, we know better than to ask. We know we are not that smart, but we would look upon or consider their threats. So asking for boldness. They, they, asking this is something that's very hard for us to do. I don't know if your prayers have that question or, or request in your prayer to ask for that boldness. But here's a group of people that for at least for a moment have a time of perspective of where they see what God is up to and the proper perspective of what God's authority is and the idea that he's sovereign and that he's active and that he has invited them to be players. Here's a group, they're scared. Their lives are in jeopardy. They've, uh, they've, they, they've seen what would, we would love to see, and yet they've been misunderstood by the entire community. Though God was gone, they were not going to say protect us and because we don't know if that's God's will. They're not going to say deliver us because they don't know if that's God's will. Here's what they know. Oh, so sovereign God, who is active, who has been willing to use us in the process, if you don't do anything else, do this one thing. And this is powerful. Verse 29, 
And now, Lord, look upon, consider their threats, and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Whoa. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that? We don't pray that. I don't pray it. It's always about me because I think I'm sovereign. I think it's about me because of my activities. And I forget that God's invited me, Joel, to be a player in the midst of what he's doing in this world. Do you know why they could pray that? Because they understood that sovereign God is going to do what sovereign God wants to do. And not only is he not going to do what he wants to do, he's currently in the midst doing something they've just seen and witnessed. And not only that, but God has invited them into the process. Now, I, I know we believe God's going to do what he's going to do, so, you know, why do, why, do I, why do I need to get involved? We'll talk about that. John says, he says, John, I want you to be a player. Margaret, I want you to be a player. Peter, I want you to be a player. Phyllis, I'd like you to be a player. He's telling the whole group to be players in what he's doing. He invites the same to you. This did not motivate them to sit back to see what God was doing. He wants to do, so I'll, I'll just let him do what he's going to do, so I'll, I'll, I'll demotivate and just sit here. So as you wrestle with God's sovereignty a little bit, maybe, and predestination, and God foreordained, and foreknowing, and all that gibbly-gobbly-goo, right? As you're, as you're dealing with that, let's not get wrapped up in that, because if it's ever in that discussion you're getting demotivated to serve with diligence, to speak God's truth, then you don't understand sovereignty. Because when men and women were face-to-face -face with the activity of a sovereign, the sovereignty of God, they said, you know what, all bets are off. If you don't do anything for us at the end of our life and at the end of our day, we want to know that we were players in the activity of God. Me and Joel talked about this, Pastor Joel. I said, you know what I get when I ask people to tell others? Sometimes they're like, yeah, okay, but why? Like, why? I'm good. Me and, me and God are good. And I don't know, telling others, man, that's just... Kind of controversial right now. Like, you don't want to do that. You might get in trouble. Somebody might say something. might lose a relationship. But you know what Pastor Joel said? He goes, here's what we say at Grace Life a lot. God gets the glory and we get the joy. Amen. Right? And it was, it was profound. I said, thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> what is boldness? Enable us to speak with boldness. You know what boldness is? Boldness is not volume. I think sometimes we think that needs to be what it is. All right, I need to go be a missionary, and, and I need volume to, to, to do that. Boldness is not doing what I'm doing right now. I mean, I'm up here talking, and you guys are, I have to talk. You're looking at me. So that's not boldness, right? Boldness isn't the guy down at Bryant Denny Stadium with the big signs telling people, complaining about what people are wearing, or telling them they better get right or they're going to hell. <coughs> That's not boldness either. It is something, but it's not boldness. See, he's safe. He can't be arrested. He's probably not going to see the people again. He's not going to lose his job. He probably, uh, he probably doesn't worry about it. So it's, it's, that's not boldness. Boldness is this. Boldness is getting in your car and driving all day to a grandmother who needs to hear about Jesus so that you can, she can spend eternity with him and with you, that's boldness. Boldness is, deci is deciding maybe to say Merry Christmas in the, at the business that says you can only say Happy Holidays. That might be boldness. Um, boldness is a 35-year-old man 
whose dad doesn't want to hear about Jesus, doesn't want to talk about it, but he goes, I'm going to go for it anyway. I'm going to approach the subject. Because there's a God who loves him. That's boldness. Boldness is handing that book out. Boldness is saying, I know this is uncomfortable, but can we talk about Jesus and salvation? Boldness is through your character, gifts, and talents the way God designed you personally. Boldness is simply speaking up when the opportunity presents itself. It's not about volume. It's not about personality. It's not about a sign. It's about men and women who have been perfectly positioned in someone's life. My wife, talked, we talk about sharing the gospel often. I've been teaching, which we'll talk about here shortly, three circles to group after group after group. Just a way to, to, to share the gospel so they're more comfortable. And, you know, Tammy tells me, she goes, well, I got four kids, Joel. I think, I think I've done a good job with them, but I don't see many people. Right? And I tell her, it's not about volume. Right? You, Joel, you get to go to work. You got 250 employees and customers and people everywhere, and you see it all the time. You got a lot more opportunity. I do, but it, it's not about volume, guys. It's not about volume. The thing that moved, the thing that intimidated, the thing that frightened the people and the leaders in Jerusalem about Christians wasn't their volume. What was intimidating and frightening and strange was that even though there was a lot at stake and that they could lose their job and lose their place in society and in some cases die, in spite of what they had to lose, they were insi insistent about what, when they could share in Jesus. They weren't scared about necessarily the volume. They're like, these people are going to do it every time they get a chance. Like, they're just going to, they're going to keep telling the story. We've got to get these people out of town. <coughs> so why would we do that? Because suddenly in Jerusalem, a handful of followers saw that a sovereign God at work has invited them to be players in the most important activity in the universe. Now, I struggled with putting the word players in this sermon. I did, because player means something different nowadays. But I'm talking about, like, being active. Like playing that part, being a player in God, and, and knowing that he's given us that opportunity. How can I not share? Why, why would I not share? We talked about it earlier. The word is fear, right? Why would I not harness my fear and speak boldly? Why wouldn't I ask for boldness? Would you add, would you add to your best week ever? We want to tell others, but let's add to our best week ever, maybe every week or every prayer, to ask with boldness. Let's say it together. Say, enable me. Enable me. That's scary, isn't it? But let, let me tell you what's going to happen if you pray that prayer. Two things are going to happen. You might want to write these down so you're prepared for them. You're going to become more aware of opportunities. Okay? That's what God's going to give you. You start praying that prayer, and he's going to say, hey, that guy or that lady or that neighbor or that dry cleaner, or that car salesman. He's going to put it on your heart. You're going to hear it. You're going to feel it. You'll be forced to face a fear that it's time you faced and conquered. The fear of broaching the subject, the fear of entering into a conversation, the fear of letting it be known that you stand in a different place with a different set of values. And do you know why we should be bold? Because bold isn't volume, bold isn't loud. We should be bold because God is, the still, is still the same sovereign God that he was in this story. Why would, we, why would we even fear when we serve an almighty God? Hannah talked about all those things and our sovereign and almighty. What do, we, what do we have to fear when we serve a God of death and resurrection? They just watched this all happen. 
We're like, all right, all right, man, I got it now. This is why here we are 2,000 years later with so many churches and, and, and believers because they saw it. I mean, now, I, I struggle with sometimes people that did see it when they were there and, and they didn't act, but they saw that. They, that's what Christianity is about, what they saw and heard. God is active today as the day he released Peter and John from prison. Jesus said, I'm gonna, he told these guys, he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And 12 guys said, what's the church? Right? And then, you know, 2,000 years later, here we have all these churches all over the world. You know why? Because God is still active. <laughs> and you got this church knows that. Jesus, I want you to go into every nation. And the, and the, the guys are like, nations? Like, how many are there? Like three or four? I don't know, how many are there at that point? Here we are 2,000 years later and Christians in every nation all over the world because God is still active. Guys, the same God, the same God in this story, the same thing, that story that they had worked up to those years, hundreds and hundreds of years, and here it happens, the crucifixion, resurrection, pinnacle, all that happens, and we're on the backside of that story. He's still active, and we're in the middle of that story, and he's asking us to be players. That's where we're at. How can we justify sitting on the sidelines of this? There's where your players come into play, right? We're going to sit on the, the, the sidelines. How can we justify that? Especially when we play. Now, I understand some of the guys at Alabama or Auburn or whoever you're for, they sit on, they just stand, they're the practice squad. They're out there. But they haven't been invited to come out on the field yet. We've been invited to come on the field. That's the players we are. Herod and Pilate couldn't stop him. You can't stop him. I can't stop him. So why would we sit it out, what he's involved in? Why would we get to the end of our lives and say, man, I raised a, raised a family, had a bunch of kids, made a few bucks. And, you know, that religious stuff, that's kind of between me and God. That's me and him. We're good. Whoa, what an opportunity we would miss because of fear. I want to tell you guys a quick story. I have a, my office is up on the top of a building, and I can see down into my technician bays and so those technician bays I can see one guy that's down there and this guy I can see is Saul is the only one I can see but God had put on my heart to go talk to, to Robert and so I dibby dabbled around all that and I was like hey Robert like uh, what church you go to you know and hey man how, how's your kids and you know working on this whole thing and communicating with him he comes over to my house and he gets some stuff I had in my garage so he could fix and sell and make some money and just starting to build a relationship. His kid was about the same as my, my six-year-old. And um, God's on my heart. I'm telling you. like He's like, tell him about me. Tell him about me. Tell him about me. And I'm struggling. I mean, like, more powerful than any one, one person and anything I ever had. And I'm, I'm struggling with it and kind of messing around with it. Well, one morning his wife calls and says, Joel, Robert passed away last night. He didn't. He OD'd. Didn't know he had a drug problem. Didn't know any of that was going on. And um, I wasn't sad because of Robert's death as much as I was sad because of what I'd failed to do. This wasn't somebody I had a, 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 a relationship with or a love relationship with or an immediate family member. This is some guy that works for me and we high five and go get him and all that kind of good stuff. But I felt the blood on my hands that day. And I think about the names we've written down today or you may have written down or you're thinking about right now. 
the, the co-workers, the people at the ball field, and I look in the mirror every day and I say, what is wrong with you? And I'm talking about me. Why, why am I not doing more with this? You know what's wrong with me? I've lost sight of old sovereign God, and I've lost sight that God's still active, and he's privileged me to be invited into what he is doing. So I begin to pray and that's not, that I'm not simply a good example or a good dad, or, but enable me to speak your word with great boldness and not to worry about the outcome because I know the God who controls the outcome. I'm not worried about it. I have to just plant a seed. God is control. I'm just a player. So what's going to happen now? Where do we go from here? What if we start this prayer of boldness? Imagine what will happen. Let's conquer this fear. As we remember even Memorial Day weekend here, and we think about those who died in service protecting us, we think about how many of those may have went to spend eternity with God and how many did not. Maybe because someone had fear to share. So we need a strategy. There is a, uh, we do have a strategy. We're going to talk about it. We're going we're to show it here in a minute. But there are, there are tools. And, and the reason sometimes we don't share, we went back and said, hey, it's, we're afraid. Or we don't know what, how to do it. And that's what Three Circles is about. Three Circles is not about a gimmick or an Amway presentation, guys. We li I like Three Circles because it flows into every conversation that I run into. Because somebody's going to tell me they have a problem, and this goes right to the root of it. Okay? You will not talk about something you're not comfortable with. Right? You will not talk. If you, you won't sing a song up here, Mike, if you're not comfortable with it. Or you might have, but it doesn't go well, does it? Right? I mean, we don't, we don't do that stuff unless you're comfortable. If you can learn, and, and listen, I'm a sales trainer, okay? But I don't want to get sacrilegious on this, but we need to learn how to share the gospel. Amen. That's a strategy. Did they learn how? God walked around and taught them how. Taught them stories and showed them. And thought we need to be intentional about learning what we're going to say. How would people feel... If me and Tammy have been married 22 years and, you know, me and you are friends and we've been hanging out and talking and whatever. And my wife, you know, about six months later, you get finally introduced to my wife. And he's like, I didn't know you were married. How would Tammy feel? Or what would Tammy do to me? <laughs> like, right? How does God feel when we don't talk about him? How does God feel? What? Can you imagine him putting his arm around you one day in heaven and saying, man, you did good at this and good at that and all that? And, um, why didn't you tell this person or that person or this person? Or you love them, why didn't you tell them? Like you're sharing recipes with them and you're sending them the latest picture of ball games and you're, you're posting on Instagram, but man, you, you didn't want to say anything about me? How are you going to feel? We need, we need a strategy. We'll talk about that more here in just a minute. Let, let, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk a little more about three circles. Lord, we love you. You are old sovereign God to us, and we know that you are in control of everything and every outcome, and we know that um, we need to be bold. So we ask for boldness. Lord, I ask it for them. I'll ask it for myself, Lord, that you will make us bold. Give us the boldness. Give us the tools necessary to share with others who need to see you, need to hear of you. And, Lord, we love you and know that you control that. May we go out of here re-invited to be a player on your team, re-invited to tell others. Lord, to think of that list, to think of those three 
that we may need to go tell. And maybe you need to tell them today because I, I really, Lord, I don't see in your word where it says build a one-year relationship and go tell them. It says go <laughs> now. Tell them. Call them. Drive over there. So, Lord, we ask for that boldness. Lord, be with us as we go throughout this week. Make it the best week ever. Make every week the best week ever being in your guidance and your player. Lord, we love you. Amen. Oh, sovereign God. Uh, if you guys will play this this video for us, I want you guys to pay attention. You can have a seat. Has anyone changed the three circles before? Have you had a three? three circles before? Has anyone ever shared the three circles with you before? No. no. So this is the first circle. So this represents the world that's broken. All of us live in a broken world. You only have to turn on the news and see... Suffering, death. War, sickness. Rape, disease, it's everywhere, right? But you know, God didn't actually create the world to be like this, full of brokenness, eh? Here's the second circle. This circle represents God's perfect design. God's perfect design was a world without brokenness. A world full of love. Full of joy and peace yeah. and unity. But what we did was we sinned. Sin could be anything from lying to murder. Wait, so like, just like normal lying or like hard lying? And what sin did, it separated us from God's perfect design and threw us into brokenness. And so people try all kinds of different things to get out of brokenness. They might try drugs or alcohol. Or maybe chasing a career or money. Smoking. Even bullying other people at school. Oh, sleeping suicide. around. Suicide, exactly. Good example. But it doesn't actually fix the problem of brokenness. It's like a bungee cord. We just get snapped straight back into brokenness. And ultimately, if people die in that state of brokenness and separate from God, and that means that that's eternal separation from God. Do you know what this place is often called? Yes. So what God did was, he didn't want to leave us in that place. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus was God, so he had no sin. And when he died and rose again, he actually took on all of our sin and cancelled it, like he crushed it. He said if we would turn away from our sin and believe in Jesus and make Jesus the Lord of our life, we become restored, restored back into God's original design. And you become a new creation, a new person in Christ. And will restore us back into relationship with Him. So there's only two kinds of people in this world. People that are in brokenness or God's perfect design. Where would you see yourself? Probably right there too. This is good. Love? Brokenness? The boundary stage. Yeah, the same. And where would, where would you, you like to be? So where would you like to be? You'd like to be here? Yeah. Right there. That's so good. One of God. So here. So is there anything that's stopping you? From turning and, and believing in Jesus? And allow him to be Lord and King of your life? Stubbornness. Probably not. Probably we, to be honest. Nothing's stopping me. You know the awesome news about Jesus? He is the only way out. If you try to clean yourself up before coming to Jesus, it's like trying to get clean before you take a shower. Oh, I see, yeah, I that. Is there anything stopping you? We shared the three circles with 34 people. Four were already believers. 13 chose to remain in brokenness, but some were deeply impacted. And 17 wanted to leave brokenness and receive Christ. There are many powerful ways to share the gospel, and the three circles is a great place to start. 
Woo. I get chills every time I watch that video. I've watched it a hundred times. Um, guys, we've been teaching three circles um, over and over. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people through a start of a class of four teaching this who taught others, who taught others, who taught others, who shared that have come to know Christ. Uh, Pastor Joel is going to show a video here in a minute giving you the opportunity to sign up for this. And I, I wanted to bring this so you would see and not be intimidated. There's going to be six classes. And I think he says, you know, you don't need to go to all of them, but, you know, you probably want to go to all of them. If you can, he's going to do them on, on Sunday and Wednesdays. But you get this little book. Look how little it is. You can knock that out this afternoon. There's six, seven chapters in there. This is the, the pamphlet that goes along with the training, teaching you how to share the three circles on when it comes up, how to do it. There's an app that has it where you can, you can flick through the app to share. You can write it on a napkin. You have drawn it in the sand. I even scratched it on some concrete one time. However you need to do it. But it's easy to learn. But you need to be intentional if you want to share with others. You need to know what you're talking about so you don't get intimidated, that you kill that fear. And if you know this is just one tool, like he said, this is one tool that can help you do that. Right? Be intentional. If it's not this, it's something or you already have your, 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 your Romans Road written in your, in your Bible. However you're going to do it, find something and be intentional about it. Thank you, guys. Joel, thank you, brother, for sharing your heart with our Grace Life family and friends today. Listen, Grace Life, today at 1230, you're going to get a text message from us that will have a link. Click on that link, and you'll have the opportunity to sign up for a course that we're offering over this summer to help you better learn how to do a lot of the things that Joel was talking about today, to actively and naturally share the faith that you have in Christ with the people around you. You'll have the opportunity to sign up for either the class on Wednesday night or on Sunday night. On Wednesday night, we will have child care available. On Sunday night, we will not. So I hope that you'll consider being a part of that class. It won't cost you anything. It doesn't matter if you're going to miss a week or two. Obviously, it's ideal if you're here for each week of that. But we know it's the summer months. Listen, one night of learning how to better share your faith is a thousand times better than no nights of learning how to better share your faith. So don't hesitate to sign up. If you have questions, let us know about that. Guys, I am praying that you're going to have your best week ever this week. God bless you, everybody, and we are now dismissed.